Hello, everyone, and welcome to Her God Story, a podcast to inspire and encourage you in your walk of faith by sharing the stories of how God is working in, for, and through ordinary women like us. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, and I'm excited to continue my conversation with Mary Beth Gilbert. If you missed the first part of Her God Story, you can always listen to it later. Mary Beth has worked in various aspects of administration and accounting in churches, businesses, and nonprofits. I met her more than a few years ago when I was working on my master's degree at Regent University, and she was the director of financial aid. Still a businesswoman, Mary Beth is also a wife, mother, and co-founder of Empowered Living International. She's passionate about engaging women to fulfill their destiny in the Lord and loves to come alongside women to help them grow in different areas of their lives, including motherhood, which will be a big focus of her story today. She speaks nationally and internationally on a variety of topics as well. And if you're interested in having her come speak, check out our show notes, which will have information on how to reach her. In our last episode, Mary Beth shared the story of her struggle with infertility and their subsequent adoption of their daughter, Maria. But there is much more to the story. Welcome back, Mary Beth. Thank you. Great to be here. In 2002, you were living in Virginia. You were working part-time at CBN, and you and Daniel planted a church. Uh, And the Lord led you to adopt a child from South Korea. He gave you your daughter, Maria, and the process happened relatively quickly. Were you prepared for all the changes? Well, yes and no. We had done so much in the years waiting for God to place Maria in our arms and our hearts. Um, So we had been on our ministry journey doing and what we believe the Lord had called us to do. So by the time Maria was placed in our arms, we were kind of ready to to settle down. We, Mm -hmm. We were ready just to, for me in particular, I took a step back. We had been pastoring for some time, both in Scotland and back here, and I was just ready for that that season of, um, I love the women in our church. I had been working with them, and we had wonderful, wonderful time, wonderful ministry there, but it was a time where to make the sacrifices and adjustments was okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything that I said, oh gosh, I wish we had done this. I was ready at that point. We had waited a very long time. So those adjustments and sacrifices were anything. We're welcome even. They were very welcome. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, there is such an assault on the identity of children now. What did you and Daniel do to help Maria navigate the questions she had about her identity as she grew up? I mean, in addition to all the confusion out there today with young people and their identity. She also had the adoption question. Maria was four months old when when the Lord brought her to us. Children at that age and in their young developmental ages, they think very abstractly. Mm-hmm. They're concrete thinkers. And so she had a birth mother, she had a foster mother, and then she had me as her mother, adoptive mother. So we didn't want to, that's too much for a child to process as they're growing up. Yeah. So we referred to her birth mother until she got older and could understand all of this. We referred to her birth mother as the nice lady that carried her in her tummy. Then when she was placed in the foster home for a couple of months, we uh, referred to her, that, that precious woman, as the nice lady that took care of you until mommy and daddy 
were there to get you. So it, it was very simple for her to understand. She had one mom and dad and not these three moms that she had to question and wonder about. And then of course, once she got later, you know, she figured it all out and, and we talked a lot about that. But the other thing in terms of her identity, I wanted her to know as an adopt, and we were telling her from the beginning as an adopted child, you know, you were adopted. And I said, hey, I was adopted too. God adopted me. And he's got a beautiful story in the Bible about adopting us. And so I said, I was only adopted once. You got to be adopted twice. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to put it in a positive way, even though we knew as she got older and understood there would be a certain bit of loss that she would have to live with, you know, with her the rest of her life once she understood more. She was, um, she was a baby. No, she wasn't a baby. She was a toddler. She was two, almost three, and it was Christmas time. And of course, we'd been reading a lot of books to her through, through her young life. And at night, every night, it was a book, you know, story. And so we were reading a book about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in the, the story, she could see that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And so I had her on my lap. Her head was down at my knees facing up. And so we would have this face-to-face time after I would read a story to her yeah before she would go to bed even as long as she could fit in that position (laughs) we did it and so that particular day she said to me after that story she said mommy i came from your tummy and of course i knew i was going to have a question like this one day but i said honey you came from my heart Mm. and she said wow, your heart must have been really big. Because remember, they think of Strathley. So she's thinking my heart was pregnant, like out. Yeah. And I said, it was big. It was this big. And I stretched both of my arms out. Mm. And her face just lit up and her mouth opened up like she was literally thinking my heart (laughs) was probably that big. Yeah. Then the Lord spoke to me. He stretched out his arms that big Mm. for all of us on the cross and adopted us into his family, those that come to him. And it was just a beautiful double blessing all at once that she could know the truth and hopefully it was presented where, and I think it was where she could understand it, even though she was still thinking abstractly. But yet then the Lord was showing me his love for all of us when he stretched out his arms on the cross. Yeah, that's but beautiful. Back to, um, as she was an older teen, or actually um, in second grade, one other thing about identity there, she was at a Christian church school and they were talking about, the teacher was teaching about families and how God creates family. You know, mother, father, children, and then she included adoption. Yeah. How families are formed by adoption as well. So they go through this whole lesson and then the kids are walking over to the church for their chapel time. And on the way there, two little boys, they were twins and the teacher was right there. Maria didn't tell me the story. The teacher did. They're walking over to chapel after they had gone through this lesson on family the last couple of days. And the two boys said, so Maria, do you know who your real parents are? And she looked at them and said, yes, my mom and dad, duh. (laughs) (laughs) No question there. (laughs) 
so she was getting it. Yeah. She was getting it. And we had also told her, you know, as an adopted child, I said, your real parents are the ones that raise you, love you, provide for you, discipline you, help you, take care of you. All of those are the real parents. And then that's when we slowly began to introduce the birth part where there was a birth mother lady and, you know, she began to understand more on that. I also, in terms of her identity, we were fortunate enough to have two good stories about her birth mother that I could share with her to let her know that she really was loved by that young girl. I asked the agency director when we were there getting Maria, do any of the birth mothers like call and find out what happened to their child or, you know, are they just not interested or what? And she said, most do not. She said, I would say 95% do not. But Maria's did. Mm. And she called and she wanted to know where her child was going to be adopted to. And so she told her, you know, she was coming to the United States. And so that was one good story I could say, you know, and encourage Maria with that she really did love you. And the other one was when we were there getting her, we went over to the um, foster mother's home and the foster moms don't always invite the adoptive parents over because some are very poor and they really don't want them to see. Yeah. Um, Maria's um, foster mother was not poor. And so she invited us over and on the way there, the social worker turned around in the car and said, Maria's birth mother would like a picture of the three of you. Would you be willing for me to take a picture and give to her? I said, absolutely. So we have the same picture. So the same picture we have of the three of us at the adoptive, I mean, at the um, foster mom, at the foster mom. Thank you. At her home. That same picture is the picture that Maria's birth mother has. Oh yeah. That's that's sweet. So I told her those two stories to help with the identity and knowing she was loved, but she now understands the circumstances were such where that she couldn't be raised there. Mm -hmm. She would have been, not treated as well from a single mom perspective because at that time they were very blood oriented society now they're much more open to that yeah but at the time they weren't but as she became a preteen again she started to question one day she was like well i don't even know where i was born like i mean she knew the area she knew seoul yeah south korea but i don't even know what hospital i was born in and so daniel got her paperwork and started getting researching. We found the place and could show her on the computer screen where she was and then where the agency was after her vitals checked out after she was born. The next day they sent her to the adoption agency care where they kept the the babies until they went to the foster home. Yeah. So she really did have a sense of where she where she came from. So that helped that. I had some pictures too of where she slept and in the foster mom's home and that sort of thing. But, you know, I told her once she started, you know, getting older and into her teens, you know, I, and, you know, she was researching some herself, but, you know, she was kind of sad and wondering and having questions like most adopt 
hyperactive children do, and that's perfectly fine and normal. And you want to help them along the way and guide them and, and not feel threatened if they want to try to research their birth parents. That's very normal and natural. So mm-hmm. we never discouraged her at all. If she wanted to do that, that was that was fine. But I did tell her, I said, that is a loss that you will carry with you your whole life. You know, I feel like we need to be honest with them yeah. and not just paint the good. Well, you've got good parents now. So what's the problem? Well, no, yes, she does. But that's the particular loss that she and only adoptive children will feel. And they carry that and they carry these questions. We wanted to just tell her it's a loss and I'm sorry for your loss. It's understandable that you feel the way you do. Many other adoptive children, I'm sure, feel the exact same way. It's okay to feel like that. Again, we talk about the providence of God. It was just a story how she was even placed to us because we were like fifth on the list. And then we ended up getting her when all these other like three couples before us at the last minute pulled out to be on the list to adopt. And then the next family had a boy and a girl already they had adopted. And so they could get either a boy or a girl. It didn't matter. The agency would have placed either to them. So she was really going to go to that family. But then our social worker went to her boss and said, I think this little girl, she's a Gilbert baby. And and her boss said, well, you know, she can't go to them. They have to get a boy because it was 95%. You get a boy first, not a girl from Korea. China was opposite. You always got a girl. So 95% we're supposed to have a boy, but you know, I never felt led to, to decorate a room for a boy. I didn't decorate it at all. I was waiting you know, to find out for sure. As it turned out, the social worker said, no, I just really believe this girl is supposed to go to the Gilbert family. And the director was like, well, you know, you know the rules. And she said, I know, I know the rules. And then finally the director said, oh, Jenny, just do what's in your heart. And that's how she ended up with us. And again, you talk about the providence of God. Yeah. You know, we believe that that was orchestrated. We were fifth on the list and all of a sudden became the number one for her. So that was, um, that was awesome. We did offer to take her on a homeland trip to Korea several times in her high school or teen years, but she really said she wasn't interested in doing that yet. So yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. Well, all those stories would give her a sense really that God had a plan for her life all along, you know, apart from the adoption questions, which are, as you covered so well, just growing up as a kid in the United States can be so confusing these days that I'm sure those stories of God's providential leading in her life also grounded her in her faith. Yes, I think so. I think um, that she has come to, I mean, and she's still working through some issues, you know, she's only 20 and, you know, I'm sure there's still going to be a few more years, maybe even into adulthood of, you know, thinking on things. She's very much, uh, she contemplates mm-hmm. and thinks about things deeply. So I'm, I'm sure that, um, yeah, she has in some ways thanked the Lord and yet wondered yeah, why he did, you know, why her plan is like that. As we but, all do. Yes. As we all do. <laughs> As we all wonder why some of the things happen the way they do. Yes. <laughs> in response to James 127, Somebody Cares created the Widows and Orphan Fund. As a company of women, we can do so much together to take care of the special needs and cultivate the special gifts of children he has put in the care of our ministry partners around the world, as well as widows who've served the Lord faithfully in ministry and are now in need. I invite you to join our number with a gift at hergodstory.org 
by clicking on the Widows and Orphan tab. Thank you so much for caring. So you're living in Virginia now, you have a baby, your church is going well, and then God called you to California. So how did that happen? And what did that do kind of to your support system? I mean, all your friends and your family were here on the East Coast. I mean, I've always heard, and I believe it's true, West Coast people are West Coast people and East Coast people are East Coast people. It's kind of hard to be happy on the other coast if you really have grown up in, in one or the other. Yes, that is very, very true. It got to the point where we felt a release from the church and also a, a part of that came from the University of Aberdeen telling Daniel, you have to get, he had finished his dissertation, but he still had a little bit more work to do on it to get the final thing wrapped up and mm -hmm. done. They basically gave him an ultimatum, like, you know, it's been many years and you need to really like just get this you know, off mm -hmm. the books and get this done. And it was difficult trying to pastor the church and work on that through the years. I think our church suffered in some ways because of his time that he had to put still towards a dissertation. So he resigned. We went down to Atlanta. We have family down there. And he took a year sabbatical and finished it up and got the degree and everything from Scotland. And then God opened a door for him to teach at Jack Hayford's school in Los Angeles. Okay. So that's what took us out there originally. We had, let's see, Maria was, let's see, she was about three, I guess. And, you know, even looking at that, and we ended up being out there like 11, 12 years. And even looking at that part, I can see where God had us there because we were an international family mm -hmm. and out there and going back to that question on identity going uh, out there, she was around a lot of people that had international families. So we didn't quite look so different. So that kind of spoke to her in that young age that, oh, there's, you know, oh, he's from France. Oh, she's from Spain. Oh, and their mom is from Germany. You know, it's just, you know, it kind of helped her, I think, in her identity growing up there. So yes, it was hard, definitely an East Coast girl here. <laughs> in LA Never of no places. I would be out in California. Um, we loved the people out there. We met some wonderful, wonderful people. Loved it. But also it was a challenge for me because I felt, again, here we are, of course, my risk taker husband is, you know, he always, you know, believes me, this is where the Lord is taking us. And he's been right. And I've been like holding on to his shirt tail. It's almost like I felt sometimes like we've been towards a cliff. Mm. And um, he, you know, if God said go, he'd go. And I'm holding a shirt tail in the back. I pray, but I go. I, I pray first, but then I go. Yeah. You know, my older sister said to me one time, well, at least you go. There's a lot of people who... <laughs> Who, who don't, don't right. who don't. But again, the whole um, experience out in, out in California was, it was a mission field. And I didn't see that at first. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to make it like a community, like I wanted it to be. So what did God do heart. in you to give you that revelation? And what did you do with that? Again, it came back to one day when I, I was just reading the word and I just thought, I've just got to bloom more implanted. And if God has called us here and put us here, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a purpose. His providence is at work, even though I can't see it. And I began to learn to enjoy the blessings, but 
um, I kept trying to run at first. I was wanting to leave the state. So every time I kept thinking, Lord, you know, I'm just, I got one foot on the next plane and one foot in LA and what are you doing here? What do you want me to do? And Maria had been discovered in the entertainment in her, uh, industry when she was four years old. Mm, really? Now, yes. that is very unusual. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not for out in L.A., but I mean, how did that happen? We were actually shopping at Target and we had somebody approach us. And you have to be careful because there's scams out there oh, right sure. in this area. And someone came up to us and said, look, we are having this. I've just been watching your daughter. She's darling. She would sit in the back of the cart and read books uh, while I was shopping and um, and then talk to me about what she's reading and stuff. And mm-hmm. she said, I've just been watching your daughter and kind of overhearing a few things. She said, we're having this. Um, it's kind of like an open house where we're inviting kids to come. There's some talent agents there and we'd love for her to come. Would you be interested? And um, she said, you know, kind of gave me her information and, and then information about the event. So I said, well, I'm not sure. So I went home. I told Daniel about it. And we happened to know someone, uh, an actress. And she said, yeah, you can go, but don't watch out. They'll try to pressure you to pay a lot of money for um, photographer or something. You know, yeah. So we knew no money. But she said, I, I would just kind of go and see, you know, what it's about. But don't you know, don't pay anything, sign up for anything. So I asked Maria, I said, would you want to do this? I don't really know exactly what it is, but this is the entertainment industry here and a little bit of what they do. And she said, yes. And I asked her again later and she was like, yes. So we went and there was legitimate agents there. There were four of them. One in particular did want to sign her Mm -hmm. like right off the bat. And um, so we, we said, no, we just, you know, give me your number. I'll call you if we're interested type thing. And so we went back. We met with our friend Jordan again about this. And she said, look, she said, um, if this is really, because I said, we're really praying about this. I mean, I want to be careful here. I mean, this is my daughter and this is a crazy industry. Exactly. So I mean, there's, you hear, all, you hear all sorts of stories of pedophilia and all sorts of stuff. Right. That right. have happened to child actors. Right. And because of all of that, the laws did change and the children were very protected and animals were protected. But if you were 18 or older, you're on your own. Mm. You know, you can be chased around the table or whatever. You know, it was crazy. So anyway, our friend said, listen, um, probably the best way to see if this is really the Lord is just to get a few pictures. We just had little snapshots, um, send them to like the like top 10, 12 agency children talent agencies here in los angeles Mm -hmm. and see if they get back to you or not so we thought well okay we'll just throw it out there and see what happens and a lot of times you never hear anything they get thousands from all over the world oh yeah so really i was thinking this you know probably isn't going to happen and within two weeks i had four different agencies calling me really from a snapshot yes from snapshots Mm-hmm. And you had to put together like a little bio that said, um, you know, things like she liked to play with and some of, you know, some cute sayings maybe that they've said in the past or, you know, things like that. So we kind of drafted something like that and just sent it out. So anyway, she ended up um, being signed with one of the top children's agencies out there. So, wow. of course, I'm still thinking, uh, how can I leave? 
California. <laughs> yeah. And this is happening to, to my daughter and, and my husband was happy there. And um, every time I was like, something would happen, I'd be like, that's it, Lord. I think, you know, yeah, I got to get out of here. And I wasn't really praying too much about it. I was just telling the Lord, I think I need to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you think? But anyway, she, every time I did that, and this happens four separate times, she would book a national commercial. Really? And so she would book a commercial, which means I had to stay because I was with her on set. Yeah. And the laws were such where even wardrobe, like I, they would give me the clothes and I would go and take her to the bathroom and change her and all that. Like nobody could. Do, and yeah. she was always in my sight mm -hmm. the whole time. Like she could never be out of the parent's sight. So I was comfortable at that point because I knew, you know, nothing's going to happen with my eyes on her the whole time and right. me dressing her and things like that. So, and uh, we would have to stay for a few months, get that done, wrapped up and all that. And then we'd, I was like, okay, Lord, I think now probably is the time, right? And then she'd book another one. <laughs> and this went on after the fourth time. I was like, okay, I get it. This is a mission field. Yeah. And I started just looking for the good and everything at that point. But I still in my heart, I knew we were going to be back here. It kind of um, reminds me of uh, a psalm, Psalm 37, 8 through 10. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep you under control. Unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. And he really was showing you. I mean, he didn't put a bit and bridle on you. He really led you with his unfailing love by these opportunities for Maria. Right, right. Eventually you ended up working for the Screen Actors Guild, right? Right, so it's really kind of funny because she, um, so she's booking, she did a little video and, you know, DVD and she did some other little print work and we lived in the Valley in San Fernando Valley in, in Los Angeles. And I, I had to laugh once I came to terms with, okay, we're gonna be here for a little while and this is what, you know, God seems to have for us at this season in our life. And I laughed because I never thought I would become a stage mom and a valley girl <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after being an East Coast girl. So that was kind of funny. But yes, we um, got to know the CEO at the time for the Screen Actors Guild Producers Pension and Health Plans. And so we got to know um Got to know him and got to know his beautiful wife and they were just became great friends still great friends of ours to this day and um so i just happened to mention to his wife look i think i'm gonna be looking for some part-time work when maria is at school and you know if any if you know of anything let me know and so i sent her my resume and she said i actually think you know bruce may have something that you can do at the at sag so i said okay so she said i've I've given him your resume. Well, next thing you know, I got a letter. No, I got a call mm -hmm. from the CFO. One thing led to another. And they were wonderful. They let me work during Maria's school hours for the most part. And um, there was a short season where I had to stay after for a little bit. But they were just wonderful. And I just thank God because I never would have thought a place like that would have been so understanding. Right. Yeah. Of a mom, you know, with limited hours. Yeah, but I guess, her. yeah, I mean, working in the entertainment industry, schedules are not real rigid because of how they 
do productions. Right. So that side of it for the production and the cast and talent and all of that, yes, it is very fluid. Mm -hmm. But the administrative staff, which I was in the the administrative side of things, you know, yeah, they did hold to to more business hours. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was there and um, and then I, you know, God just opened the door for us to pastor there as well. Really? So you became part of the pastoral team in mm-hmm. California? Yes. So we started um, pastoring a church there. And again, like all of our, it's been, uh, you know, probably close to 20 years that we pastored churches. Like all of them, there have been great blessings and highs and joys, and then just immense challenges. It just goes with the job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are people and we are all flawed, and, you know, you have to work through things and yet in the middle of it in the non-perfectness imperfectness of all of this god just saves people and he heals and he um but he opened a wonderful door for us through that church yeah i um i've worked in ministry for almost my entire career as well and i remember being in one ministry people coming through there it was a very big ministry that a lot of people wanted to work at, but they would come and get really disenchanted when they encountered imperfect people. They thought they were coming to heaven, but you know, we're all a work in process. And uh, fortunately the Lord gave me that revelation early on that I wasn't going to heaven. I was a work in process as was everyone else working there. And same with churches. Oh, right. Exactly. And each church has its own personality. And a lot of times it has a season where things are great and high and then can go into a season where, okay, you know, for whatever reason, it's not quite that way. And, and that's okay. It's just the ebb and flow of life. And I think if we try to clench things or force things to stay, we're going to really miss the rich blessings that's going to come out of the struggles that we need to learn from. I mean, they're happening for a reason. In the midst of being out there in California, the Lord opened the door for you to go to Kenya and really birthed a ministry out of that. Share what happened there. Well, one of the elders at our church in California was from Kenya and the church had been supporting some orphans there in his community. Mm -hmm. And um, he wanted, you know, Pastor Daniel to go and to meet the orphans and see their work there and what they were doing and and all of that. But Daniel's heart and God had spoken this to him like a few years before that he would be teaching and helping village pastors in remote areas. Really? Yes. So this area was very remote. These pastors could not get to even Nairobi, the biggest city there. They couldn't even get there for training, biblical training. And so these pastors like had no training. So we, um, he went on this trip and God just opened, brought, brought like 25, 26 pastors and there they were hungry and starving for the word and for rich teaching. And, um, his later after that, we just started going back twice a year and friends of ours would go with us and teach and preach and train And it was just one thing just led into another. And now there's like three satellite campuses and Mm. our work through uh, another director of ours that that's with us in this ministry has opened up in India. 
so we haven't been there. I haven't been there yet, but mm. anyway, there's doors opening there. And so we've helped the orphans and a lot of things that they've needed. So it's all one big compound area and it's out in the bush. Yeah. You know, you have to go, we're kind of like a mobile seminary, if you will. So we go to where they can't get training. We yeah. go to, to reach those pastors and we just love it. 25 years ago now, the Lord allowed me to go to India to do some teaching to women. My parents were part of a ministry that adopted an unreached people group. They had been um, having these big conferences and conventions, uh, well, co conferences, not conventions, out in open air. For years, the Lord allowed me to go on one of the trips with them, and it was so refreshing to see the hunger for God's word. They were just elated to hear what God had to say. And they were pretty desperate for a touch from the Lord too. Uh, although it was a little disconcerting because, you know, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed. And in India, in that particular culture area, as you know, in particular, um, they really honored <laughs> light skin and blonde hair. And, um, you know, the women would come up and touch me and want to bow down before me. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it made me feel very uncomfortable, you know, I was like, yes. no, no, you need to look to Jesus. But um, it's, it's amazing when the Lord uses you in another context, another culture with hungry people mm -hmm. to share the truth of his word. And so I, I love that, you know, you get to do that and you're still yes, doing that. Yes, we are. It's, the ministry's growing and we love it. And, and we've learned, and we learned this actually in Scotland, that the word of God just transcends all nationalities mm -hmm. and it speaks to all of us. We all still have that same basic human need, even though the cultures are different. There's still that same basic need yeah. of salvation, of worth, of value, of rightfully learning, having the opportunity to learn and to learn the word. And it's just been amazing to see what God has done. The lives that have been changed. These pastors have gone back and their churches have like quadrupled. And, you know, people are just um, really getting the truth of the word that they weren't getting before. Before the pastors would just teach whatever was out there. Yeah. And the neat thing is that you guys aren't full-time missionaries. No. I mean, God has just opened this door up for you to sow into these pastors' lives and the lives of their churches because you were willing to go. You said, yeah, I'm available. And when I went and saw um, Daniel and his buddy Brad that travels with them a lot, I was so impressed of what they go through to mm. be there with those precious men and women of God and teaching them. It's hot. It is, there's no air conditioning, as you know, in yes. India, it can be some really rough places. Yes. And I was just like, well, and, and Daniel gets energized by this. Yeah. He just loves it. He, he's Well, you know what I've found? I mean, I've traveled to probably 30 countries and most of them not first world countries. And what I've found is that God gives you the grace to be where he wants you to be. Exactly. I mean, I can be in places when God's called me to those situations that I would never tolerate at home, <laughs> you know, with the bugs and the, the heat and the long bumpy road, you know, God gives you that grace if God calls you to go. And I don't, you know, if, if you're listening to this and, and God's calling you on a mission trip to go somewhere, kind of concerned about that, God will give you the grace if you're just obedient. 
Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head with that word grace, because we don't get it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. We get it for the moment when we're there. And it was the same when someone asked me about, gosh, how could you, you know, you had infertility all those years. Like, I mean, gosh, I would have lost my mind. Like, how could you make it and all that? And I said, I had the grace to make it. You didn't need to wait that long. So you didn't need that grace. Yeah. You know, and that's so key. God, that's the beautiful thing about God's plan when he's having us wait for something or we're going through a difficult situation that we do have his grace to get through and to make it. And I want to get through well. I just don't want to be begrudgingly going through a, a yeah. trial or a test or uncomfortable, you know, circumstances. If you are overseas ministering, I want to get through it. Well, mm -hmm. I want to finish well, exactly. You know? And God's grace helps us to do that. And it's a tangible grace. It's not just a bearing. I've had experiences where, you know, I would be, I volunteered for about seven years in a low income housing development. I was I working full time. Mm -hmm. I was going to school full time, getting a master's mm -hmm. degree. And I was volunteering probably, I don't know, five, six hours a week in this low-income housing development. And I look back on that part of my life, that season of my life, and I wonder how on earth I ever got through it. I mean, there's no way I could fit everything I did in the hours of the day that I had, right. except for God's grace. And it's miraculous. You don't know how it happens, but it does. Right. And then one day, the grace wasn't there for that anymore. And I knew it was time for me to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. You know, grace is hard to explain. It's hard to explain how it works because it's miraculous. Right. And it comes exactly when you need it. Yeah. And that's a good point, you know, not to be fearful if God is calling anyone to take trips like that, that that grace will be there. Yeah. And we, we took Maria with us on a trip and she absolutely loved it. She really, really loved it. And she's planning to go back with some um, friends from Virginia Tech next year, too, if, if God wills. So, yeah. So eventually you left California. God brought you back to Virginia and um, everything was going really smoothly until Maria got very, very sick. Yes. And again, um, here we are on another move. Yeah. <laughs> um, coast to coast. We've been out of the country. But this move, it was hard for Maria. It was easy for Daniel and me because we were coming to familiar territory. Maria was two and a half when we left the Virginia Beach area. So mm -hmm. she didn't really remember much. So it was a hard, hard move for her to move back to her junior year of high school. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of uh, difficult. I just, I didn't get a, a job outside the home, even during her school hours at that time. I just stayed put and I, I did volunteer for our, our ministry, Empowered Living. I, I um, volunteered for that. But she had a difficult time and Daniel had accumulated a lot of miles through the years, you know, traveling. So we used those miles and flew her back to L.A., whenever her school was doing a function that she was used to certain dances or, you know, over the holidays after Christmas type thing. And um, so that, that helped with that, but I noticed, um, and she was very active. Mm -hmm. um, she even got active in her school here. She went to Norfolk collegiate. She got active there. And then she started um, at Virginia tech this summer, right after she graduated from high school. She's very ambitious. She just wanted to get going on it. So uh, she did. And I noticed after she went for the summer semester, she did, she did fine. She mm -hmm. actually did pretty good. 
Um, but then in the fall, I noticed she was feeling more tired. Like she was sleeping a little bit more than a normal, you know, yeah, college they, student does. And they sleep a lot because they they're do. nocturnal <laughs> at yes. that station. That's right. They are. <laughs> I didn't say too much. I thought, well, maybe it's just the, the stress of the load. And, and then in January, she just hit a real wall. She just wasn't well, just wasn't doing well. So we went to visit her and we stayed there for about a week. And, um, and then this was January of 2020, right before COVID all mm. broke out. And we thought it was best that she, you know, planned to, to be home for a little while and we could kind of find out what was going on. She wasn't feeling well. And then it ended up where everybody was sent home. So she, she didn't miss anything. No, she didn't miss anything. But while she was home, actually, let me back up a couple of months before she came back, she had, um, had some pain. We we just thought maybe it's regular menstrual pain or whatever, but it just started to increase and get more and more difficult. So we were keeping an eye on that as well. She went back in the fall. She was there and then just called us one night. She was just in a lot of pain. And again, we thought maybe it was that time of the month. And she said, no, this just feels different. So she went to the hospital and they ran some tests and they said, looks like something's, you know, up with your pancreas. Like her pancreas looked like she was like 60 years old and had been drinking for 40 years. Oh my. Yeah. It was destroying. It was being destroyed. Well, we didn't know what to make with that. And then they said, and now we think you're diabetic too, because her blood sugar numbers were elevated. So again, she comes home, she ends up seeing an endocrinologist here in Virginia Beach that was recommended to us. And in talking with him, he said, you know, I don't really think that this is a diabetes issue. I think this is a pancreas issue and you should go see a GI specialist. So we saw a GI specialist that was recommended to us. And he said, well, we're going to do a a scan, Mm -hmm. MRI, and see what we see. And if the pancreas is as destroyed as it looks, then you'll have to see a specialist at BCU or UVA. So the MRI comes back. Yes, it's pretty damaged. And so the GI specialist here didn't want, he said, this is beyond me. I think it needs more attention. So Maria now being 18, I can't really get on the phone and do everything for her because of her age. Right. So that was very difficult, but um, she called and then she called me back practically in tears saying, BC, you can't get me in until months later. And I was like, "Um, do I have your permission to like take things in my own hands and get you set up places? She's like, yes. I said, just be on guard. I may have to call you. You're going to have to give permission over the phone and all this. So I called back the GI doctor here and I said, that just I spoke with his nurse. I said, it can't be months. This child is in excruciating pain. I said, she has to see somebody within a week or two. I said, this, we can't wait months. So I finally said to the nurse, I've never done this before, but I said, would you ask the doctor a question for me? And she said, sure. I said, I'm really desperate. My child is very sick. We cannot wait months. If this were his daughter, what would he do? And apparently she asked him because, and I said, will you call me back today and let me know something? They got on the phone. They called Duke Medical. They were on the phone. They got her referral sent over. They talked to a person and she called me back and said, you're going to get a phone call today and they're going to see her within a week or two. They just need some other paperwork. 
So boom, it just all started happening. So she got her down to Duke Medical. They were running tests. They did two procedures, ERCPs, where they tried to remove stones. There were a lot of stones in her pancreas mm-hmm. and the duct and all that. Um, both of those, she would get relief for about two weeks, and then she was back in pain again. And then they did referred to a, a surgeon there. He did a rerouting um, surgery of her pancreas. Again, a few weeks later, back in pain. It's January now of 2021. We were at the hospital four weekends in a row. Um, and this is after at least a year of misery. Yes. So we had a, an appointment with a pain specialist down at Duke Medical. And um, so they let her go in time to get for us to get her down there. They were managing her pain in yeah. the hospital. Wow. And um, yeah, it was just one thing after another. She's a researcher and Mm -hmm. she had done some research in December and she found this surgery that she ended up having. She said, this is what I need, mom. And I was like, whoa, that is quite, quite drastic. And it was a newer surgery. It's not like one that had been around for a long time. It was just started in 2010. Mm -hmm. There's only 10 places in the United States that actually have doctors that will do that. And Duke was one of them. Duke was not, not, but UNC Chapel Hill was. Okay. And so they were familiar with this surgery. So they said, we will refer her over there. We got an appointment, met with the surgeon, and he's very, very conservative. He's from India, but he's very skilled, but very conservative. He doesn't do the type of surgery that she needed. He doesn't do it on a whim. Mm-hmm. You have to meet like five or six uh, criteria for him to do it. So I'm thinking it's probably going to be, you know, some time. I didn't know what all the criteria was. And we went in there and after seeing the tests and having more tests run and all that, she qualified and he said, her pancreas needs to come out next month. This thing is a mess. Wow. It was a, what they call a pancreatectomy. So they removed the pancreas. And then the second part was an auto islet cell transfusion, transplant. Well, first of all, it was caused by a mutated gene that she had inherited through her bloodline. That particular gene is called a SPINK1. It attacks the pancreas. We don't have pancreas transplants, but even if we did and we had a brand new healthy pancreas put in, the gene would attack that as well. Okay. So it wasn't an issue of the pancreas. It was beyond that. Right. But the pancreas had to come out. Now, the, the pancreas... Uh, produces the enzymes we eat, you know, when we eat food. And then it also produces the insulin that we need. She was happy about it because this is what she wanted. She had researched this and she was like, I'm all ready. So what they do though, is they take the pancreas and a research team, they take the pancreas out of the patient. They sent the pancreas to a research team that Dr. Desai had flown up from Miami, very, very specialized. And they remove what they call islet cells. So we have little islands of cells in our pancreas that make the insulin. So the newest surgery was if you can get those islet cells out, then they transfuse them or transplant them back into the liver and the liver then acts like the pancreas. Really? Is that not amazing or what? I've well, never God has, heard of such a God thing. God has created our body in such a way that... Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I don't know any more to say, but only a creator God could do that. Exactly. And here she had discovered this type of surgery and was telling us about it. And I was like, well, my sister's an RN. I'm like, let's call Aunt Sally and see what she thinks. And my sister had never heard it. She had to research it. My brother-in-law's a surgeon. He was a little familiar, but not quite 
to the degree because it was still came out in 2010. This particular doctor, Dr. Desai, started back in 2010 doing these surgeries. So I was confident he'd been doing them from when they were first approved right. to be done. That was a huge, huge surgery. And she was in ICU for a week, or she was supposed to be in a week, but I think she you know, was out in like five days. And then she went to the transplant ward and she was out of the hospital in nine days. It was just nothing short of a miracle that she was recovering so quickly. Yeah. But they did, they were hoping they could get enough eye cells. They can tell from testing in advance that she did have uh, quite, you know, quite a bit of the healthy islet cells. The problem for the team that was extracting them out of the sick pancreas mm. was they lost some in the extraction of because how sick the pancreas was. So therefore she has some in her liver that are producing insulin, mm -hmm. but it wasn't enough to make her totally independent of insulin. So she is diabetic, not a one or a two. They call it like a three C because she's got some help through her liver yeah. and the islet cells working through that and then supplements so she takes a fraction of what probably true diabetics have to have. So all along this big journey, where did you see God? It's so hard to see your child sick, ill, crying, wondering, on pain meds. Mm. You know, especially at that age, you think, oh, Lord, you don't want them to get used to that or feel like they have to have it. And thank God she didn't. She wanted off as fast as possible. We kept praying all the way through, Lord. And again, you go back to, okay, we've seen the hand of God so many times in the providence of God so many times. I can't quite understand this one, but I know who you are, Lord, that somehow you're going to work this for good. But it was awfully hard for us as parents to see her hurting so much and struggling so much. It was very, it's even hard to explain. We cried a lot. We were up in the middle of the night. She would want to talk in the middle of the night. She was having lots of questions. Can I even have kids? I don't want to pass this down. You know, just all of these heart to heart, deep, deep questions that you think an 18 year old shouldn't even be thinking right, about. Really soul searching. Yeah. The fortunate thing for her that in this day and age, technology has advanced so much in the medical field that there is even research and probably could possibly be that she's out of her 20s and she won't even need any insulin because they are now creating islet cells and they're in testing right now where they can then transplant them into the liver so she'd get more, which means she wouldn't need the insulin. So we're hoping for that day to come sooner. Just like they make, insulin is lab created. It's the purest form. Mm -hmm. And so they're taking that, um, that thought and process and testing. And, you know, a lot of Christians would look at that and say, great, you know, medical, that's the way to go. Uh, others would say, well, you should have prayed for miraculous healing first. I uh, was listening to a sermon by Robert Morris recently who's a pastor of uh, Gateway Church in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching on God being a healer. Robert Morris says, God heals three ways. He heals naturally. He created our body to be healing. He heals medically because all wisdom comes from him. Right. And he heals supernaturally. And it's, you know, it's up to us to discern from the Lord, to hear from the Lord, which way we should go. <laughs> right, right. I say because he has blessed us in our day and age with, 
people that are skilled in medical science and knowledge, for us, we felt walk through this path naturally, all the while praying that God will supernaturally touch her right. and heal her. And so we we believed God was going to do something. We didn't know if it was going to be through the supernatural, just fix the gene, mm-hmm. or if it was going to be through the natural means. And he chose that path for her. So again, it goes back to God will be God. And it's not for me to tell him how. I will always pray for healing. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And but it's up to the Lord to choose which method that he will heal. And the last part of healing, uh, a fourth one I would add to that is healed when we're in heaven. That's right. You yeah. know, I mean, it's all good there, you know, so God has his ways and his timing. And we just walked through, I kept praying, Lord, open the door you want us to walk through next for yeah. her, open the door. And, and a mama bear with a cub that is sick is about doing anything and everything she can and even papa bear you know yeah it's like we were not letting up until we got answers and we got her in to see people and i was like the judge i mean i was like the lady knocking on the door for the judge to yeah. answer you know yeah all that time i was on the phone with medical i'm like when can i expect your phone call and and yeah. followed it right through maria was going through all of this and you were trying to be the administrator of her care, but you know, what was God saying to you through this? Oh, it's interesting. I I said, Lord, just give me signs along the way Mm -hmm. that number one, you're with us. Number two, you're encouraging her and us, but I wanted her especially. And I have to laugh at, at one sign. She's just 48 hours out from her surgery. She's in ICU. She hasn't really said anything. She's been drugged up. She's, you know, tubes everywhere, mm. systems all around her and all that. And we're in ICU and I stayed there with her. And there's different monitors that are on the screen and I could see them. And of course the ICU nurse would always be looking at them as well. And uh, one of them was they, um, it was a blood pressure machine. They were checking that, her heart rate and some other things. So I got to know where the number should be on the screen. Well, the nurse came in, she was rearranging something and she unplugged them all and was moving some equipment around and then she plugged them all back. Well, everything started working except the blood pressure machine. And after surgery like that, that's one thing they're really monitoring as well. I said to the nurse, I said, I, she's still doing stuff. And I said to her, and Maria's like out as far as I know, you know, yeah. completely out. I haven't been able to talk to her. I've whispered in her ear, we're here. We love you. You did great. You know, and things like that. The doctor would come in, do you know who I'm in, who I am? And she would shake her head. Yes. And, but there was no words or talking or anything. So I, I said to the nurse, I said, Hey, I said, I noticed the blood pressure monitor isn't working any, you know, it didn't come back on. She said, Oh, it's all rebooting. It, it, it'd be another minute or two. I was like, okay. So she leaves about five minutes later, she comes in I said, sorry to bother you. I said, but I noticed it's still not working. And about that time, and I, of course I'm praying for signs and Maria's going to be okay and all that. <laughs> about that time, all of a sudden Maria, like she kind of perks up a little bit and she goes, oh my gosh, mom, relax. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
that's a sign. Thank you, Lord. She's in there somewhere. Yeah. She's coming back. You know, <laughs> it was like, okay. So I had to laugh because here I was, my journey through all this was, Lord, please let us know you're with us. I know you're with us, but just give us some kind of visible sign in different way. However, like I said, I never want to box God into that. You got to do it this way, just however you want to show us. Or And I had to laugh because that was, that was one, one thing that he did. And we had many, many laughs later through the hospital as a result. Even Maria to this day laughs at some of the things. So I, God was giving us laughter for medicine as well. Yeah. Yeah. For her and for us. Yeah, the Bible does say. But it was laughter is good like a medicine. Thing. She's uh, adjusting to a new life, you know, still having to require some insulin has been an adjustment for her. It's been a year, a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. So we're we're just um, very thankful she had outstanding care there. So what truths have you carried through all the ups and downs of these last few years? I mean, your time in California, your work with SAG, your pastoring another church, your moving back to the East Coast and these health challenges. Um, I know God does a deep work of life messages in us. Yes, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I would just say, first of all, go to the Lord. Always go to the Lord. Don't hide, don't run, and don't pretend things aren't happening. Be brutally honest with him because he can handle it. I remember at times when I was going through the infertility struggle, I was like, I'm mad at you, God. I mean, I told him, I'm mad at you. Mm. Well, guess what? He didn't strike me down dead or anything like that. He can handle it. He knew. He created us. He knows our emotions. He knows our temperament. He knows everything about us. So I was disappointed. And I told him, I'm disappointed. You know, so go to the Lord and be honest. When Maria was going through her illness, I was like, dear Lord, she's 18 years old. This is not the life of an 18-year-old that, you know, we we would want for our daughter. No parent would want this for their child. It's just hard heart-wrenching to see a child suffer like that. So I was just, you know, I just tell them and go to the Lord and be honest. Don't hide. And I tried not to have pity parties. Like I could have some pity parties. But the other thing I felt like the Lord told me through the years is just keep moving in the direction that I'm calling you to move. Like when we were waiting for a child, we were ministering all around the world. We just were moving in that state. When Maria was in with her illness and when we were pastoring a churches and stuff. It was like, just stay in your lane. Do what I called you to do. I will be with you and walk with you. I will take care of that. You know, Psalm 138, one of my, 138, one of my favorite scriptures is where he says, I will perfect that which concerns you. Mm. Well, I've had a lot of concerns Yeah, through the years, you know, some big, some little. The other thing I felt like the Lord was saying, and even through the years of you know, pastoring or whatever, you be you. Because you can only be you best. Mm-hmm. Nobody can be you better than you. And I can't be anybody else. They are just perfect the way God created them. He created us with our own gifts, our skills, our talents. And I think we get messed up and relationships get messed up when we want something somebody else has. And there's nothing wrong with admiring that. You know, it'd be like, oh, I love that ability you have, that talent. That's wonderful. You know, I would love to have that, but it doesn't mean that you are upset about that. You right. know, you, you stay in your lane, you do you, you be honest with God. And I love when the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, he, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what I love about that is I turned it opposite. In other words, he's saying, if I'm not imitating Christ, do not imitate me. 
people, the way God has gifted each of us, everybody has something that we can admire or we can encourage and we can learn from. And especially in the Christian community, when we're, when we're in our lane and we're doing our thing, then we can imitate what is wonderful about that person, a quality that they have, a character that they have, and we can imitate that. That's where that comes into us still being us and being who we're called to be, but we can incorporate and learn godliness from other people as they're imitating Christ, then we can imitate that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, a lesson that I learned from the Lord that God knows me better than I know myself. And if I'm struggling with who I am or what I should do or where I should go, he will show me because he created me. He created me to be who I am. He created, he gave me the gifts that, you know, for a reason, not just to squander, but for a reason. And when we are confused about our identity in the Lord, he is happy to reveal it to us. Absolutely. And he does that. And you know, the other thing is, as I say, be you and stand your lane and all that, it doesn't happen overnight and at age 15. Right. You know, we have to go through life lessons and circumstances that mold and shape us to where we realize and we mature in who we are and comfortable in our own skin. I mean, I had people telling me through the years when we were pastoring, oh, Mary Beth, you should do this or you should do that or whatever. And um, I would laugh and say, if I did that, I'd make the biggest mess of it that you, you wouldn't <laughs> want that. But you have that talent or so-and-so does. And yes, I'll be supportive and all of that. And I just stayed in my area with, which was, you know, with women and hanging out with them and ministering Bible studies and sharing heart to heart and stuff like that. And that's where I was most comfortable. And I also would just say to other pastor's wives that I used to meet with, do what you would do if your husband wasn't the pastor. So if your heart is in music and that's where you would like to serve, if you wouldn't then do that. If it's with women, then do that. If it's with children, then do that. So do don't don't even equate anything. Where would you serve? Where where's the heart? Mm-hmm. You know, what has God put in your heart to serve and and do that? Yeah. So Mary Beth, the last episode, I asked you if there was a woman in the Bible whose story encouraged and taught you something in the early early years of your faith journey. Uh, what about now? What are some of the, is there a biblical woman's life that speaks to you now in a different way? I love Esther in the book of Esther. Boy, if you want a good story with lots of drama and twists and turns and Oh gosh, it's it's not ending in that in that story. I mean, once you read it cover to cover, but it's a beautiful romantic story about a young woman who was thrust into a position through some awkward circumstances, I mm-hmm. may add, that found herself in that position. And then God led her and she knew how to deal with it very delicately, very wisely. And she was put into that place to save her people. She was Jewish mm. to save the Jewish community that had, you know, were in exile. They were in Persia. And the king had, you know, Candace's first wife because she wasn't obeying Vashti. Back then, the a lot of women looked to the to the queen and then they didn't think she was a good example. So they did away with 
her basically out of that position yeah and had to go looking for a new queen and so here comes esther she's one of the young girls because they were young Mm -hmm. that went before the king and she found favor she was a beautiful young girl apparently here she was put in there for such a time as this as the bible says she was a relative to uh, a person named mordecai who had a responsibility in the land but at the same time there was another person in that story named haman that did not like jews and was set to kill them And if they found out that Esther was a Jew, she would have been killed and Mordecai and all the people. And how God twists and turns that story and puts her in a place of power and then how the irony of, you know, wanting to wipe out the Jewish community ends up falling on Haman. He himself, you know, gets executed by his demise. Yes, he does. The thing, though, about Esther and that story, and I, I like these principles. She was she was wise for a young girl. Mm-hmm. She really was wise. She was patient when she went to the king with her request. She was patient. She didn't get into that place of position and then boom. She waited for the timing. So she was discerning as well. These are characteristics that... God is still developing and teaching me through (laughs) through different circumstances, of course, but still teaching me these things through life circumstances. Uh, But she was, another thing I liked about her is she was direct and bold with the king. Like she, and she phrased things beautifully for him to give her favor with him. But then once she had it, she was bold and direct. And that's when I go back to God wants us to be bold and direct with him. You know, it says, come boldly to the throne room of grace. You know, we we are to go that way. She was bold and direct. She was very courageous and she risked her life for her people. She risked her life. She said, if I perish, I perish. But she knew she had to do the right thing. She was principled. I just, I, I she also didn't reveal the secret that only her, her, um, family member there, Mordecai knew and that she was Jewish. So she had to reveal that too to the king. And it just is such a, a beautiful story of how someone with a, so young with all of these qualities and characteristics that um, God used in that day and time of life to accomplish his purposes. And again, you think the he works within the culture because you look at what was going on in the culture and how they even presented these young girls to the king and then how they got rid of the first queen, you know, Vashti. And you go, oh my gosh, you know, that's like, that, this is pagan. This is like yeah. morally wrong. And yet how God still providentially fulfilled his purposes of sa- saving the Jewish people through for the situation, for yeah. For this situation. So I think there's a lot to learn about her character and her boldness and courageousness. And I just think back in my life, and there's times I've just completely blown it, and I'm like, Lord, can you clean up the mess? You know, back at the beginning of this year, I was asking the Lord if he had a word or a direction for me from the year, which I think probably a lot of people do. And I was reading in Psalm 119 at that time, which is a really long psalm, but it's so rich. I mean, I got to verse 68 and it just leapt off the page to me. It said, you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. And I was talking about God, of course. And his still small voice in my spirit just said, I'm going to show you my goodness this year. And I thought, yay, this is going to be a great year. 
So a couple months later, I found out that I had breast cancer. I had a choice. Do I believe that God's going to show me his goodness in the midst of this? Or do I get upset and believe a lie and become disillusioned? Well, maybe that wasn't God's voice. You know, I've walked with the Lord long enough that I knew that was him. So I chose to believe God is good and he does only good. And when I set my heart on that truth, I was amazed that all of a sudden I was joyful mm-hmm. and expectant in the midst of it. And I was like, well, this is unusual. That's wonderful. And you know, Romans eight twenty eight, it says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. The next verse, we, a lot of us know that particular verse. But the next verse, verse 29, it explains that God has chosen us to become like Jesus. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, that God is forming us into his likeness. The good that he's working in us is making us like Jesus. Mm -hmm. So anything that we go through that makes us more like Jesus is a good thing. Right. And, you know, as we know, of course, Jesus is love incarnate. He is wise. He's gracious. He's strong. Our salvation from sin and all its destruction was initiated by God because he loves us. Uh, And instead of leaving us separated from his love, Jesus came to the earth. He lived a perfect life of love. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead to pluck us from the kingdom of darkness and place us into into his glorious light. And then he changes us and makes us like him. And in that process, he enables us to exhibit his goodness and love to others. So it's, yes. it's a process, but it's yes. all good. Right. And the whole process is good. God calls it good. And when we look at things from his perspective, we can have confidence that God is a God of love and he's good. And whatever we're going through is for our ultimate good. It may not be comfortable, right? but it is for our good. I mean, just what you and Maria have gone through, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's pressing you more into the likeness of Jesus. None of us are there yet, of course. Right. <laughs> we have more pressing oh, to go through. Right, but right. but the last few years, you know, have really been tough on everybody globally. Right, right. Uh, every one of us can use a little bit of God's goodness in our lives. So when we get to be vessels of sharing God's love with somebody else, maybe it'll be somebody I meet through my cancer treatment journey. That's God's goodness to me. When, he, when I can show his love to others, that's God's goodness to me. Mm-hmm. He's yes. working in me and through me and for me. So, you know, I think of your story and what you've just gone through with Maria. And, you know, it reminds me my breast cancer was caught very early. Mm-hmm. My treatments have been very mild. Yeah. All of that has been much easier than many women go through. And for that, I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. But I've seen his goodness in it and have a different understanding of goodness now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we think of God's goodness as making everything right, and making everything easy. That's not really what he's talking about. Right. And you have a beautiful heart, Jody, where God knows that, you know, you're willing to see things through his perspective. You know, he's taking you on this journey. Through years of learning. <laughs> through, as you know, as through, you know. <laughs> Having that perspective. And, and, you know, that perspective brings peace through the journey. It does. And, you know, again, you're talking to the Lord about it and he's with you and saying, I'm going to use you to help others. And. You know, there's so much that, so much good comes out of things that I never even imagined mm-hmm. could. And it's just beautiful to hear, you know, how God is just, you know, using you to help others through this. Well, it's time for us to wrap it up. Mary Beth, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to this episode? Lord Jesus, we just come before you 
And we just thank you that you are God, that you love us unconditionally, that you are for us, Mm -hmm. that you do have a plan and a purpose, that you're not silent just saying have at it, but that you are very, very close and intimate with us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone out there that is listening now that maybe be going through some struggles that are finding just um, so difficult, maybe overbearing. Father, I pray that you would just bless them with your peace and your assurance and your love and your perspective, Lord. I pray that they'll just run to you, not run away, but always run to you and that you would help. Lord, when we can't understand, I just pray that you would Give us that grace that we talked about earlier for that moment in time where we can be a blessing to others in spite of what we're going through and and long-suffering, whatever that may look like. Father, you are just so faithful. You, you work providentially. You never give up on us. Even when we're unfaithful, you're faithful. And so, Lord, I just pray for each one now that you would do miracles. You would reveal your love in greater ways to them like never before. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory. And Lord, I do pray for Jody right now that you would bless her with your healing touch. Bring her completely through this victorious thing in your praises. Lord, we know that all things do work together for our good and for your glory. And we pray and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to listen to the beginning of Mary Beth's God Story in our previous episode if you haven't already done that. And please like or follow this podcast on your favorite streaming service. You can also check out our website at hergodstory.org to see show notes, sign up for periodic emails, and get a free downloadable devotional book, which will be available soon if it's not already. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. You can give us a call or text anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing from Psalm 2, verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.